0: This Week in Startups, the Power of Accelerator series is brought to you by Dell for Entrepreneurs. Level up your hardware today and save up to 48% by going to dell.com slash twist. LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters. To post a healthcare or essential service job for free, visit linkedin.com slash power and Vanta. Compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. Twist listeners can get $1,000 off for a limited
1: time at vanta.com slash twist. Hey everybody, welcome to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis. I am an angel investor here in the Silicon Valley. If you don't follow me on Twitter, I'm at Jason, twitter.com slash Jason. If you want to see pictures of me barbecuing brisket and hanging out with my uh, girls, it's uh, instagram.com slash Jason. And then, if you want to talk with tens of thousands of other founders, and I'd say it's a couple of thousand of them who are pretty active, you can join our super secret Slack, which is only for people who listen to this podcast. And you can join that Slack group at thisweekinstartups.com slash Slack. And there's fun stuff you can do there, like you can go into the books group, and we have a book club. You can go into growth. You can go into Australia or London. There's all these different rooms if you're looking for a co-founder. And uh, we charge a lot of money for it. It's $0.0, $0. Uh, and you know, if you can afford it, uh, you can come there and hang out with other aspirational founders, people who want to be entrepreneurial, who want to create products and services that, hey, change the world and maybe push humanity forward just a wee bit. And that's really what this show is about. It's about entrepreneurship. And one of the great entrepreneurs I've met in my life is Sandeep Madra. We call him Sonny. Uh, and I've met him uh, as he was working on many different companies, including uh, his Extreme Labs was building a little app you may have heard of called Tinder. He's not allowed to say it, but there was a rumor they built a social networks first app. I don't think he's allowed to say that. But I can mention I heard a rumor that they built one of the first uh, social, major social networks apps for them. Uh, And he went on to build uh, a company that was working in autonomy. And uh, I got to be a, you know, just a tiny investor in it, as I am apt to do with my friends. I love to back my friends. And that company got bought by Ford. And now he is the VP and the head of Ford X. And we're going to find out today on the, I think this is the ninth or the tenth episode uh, of uh, the ninth episode of the Power of Accelerator series we're doing. For those of you who are just tuning into this series, If you go to thisweekinstartups.com slash accelerators, we're going to put up a page with a list of these episodes. Um, But we had Dream Adventures on. Uh, We had Stardex, which is Stanford's amazing uh, accelerator. We had Mass Challenge, which is an interesting Boston-based competition. We had SOSV, which operates out of China and a number of other cities working in hardware, one of the hardest areas you could ever work. We had my friend Josh from Capital Factory in Austin and now moving into San Antonio in Houston. We had the founder of the largest accelerator in the world, David Brown, uh, the co-founder of Techstars. He was an amazing guest. We recently had Ravi from Alchemist Accelerator on and that was amazing. And of course, representing the startup lab or startup studio model, my uh, good friend Mike Jones from Science was recently on. So what an amazing run we've had in this series and we thought big corporates, Big corporations need to innovate, but big corporations have big, multi-billion, tens of billions of dollar um, lines of businesses. So it's kind of hard for them to do something tiny, right? They're good at doing big things, but it's hard to do the little things. So they typically find somebody really smart and entrepreneurial, and they say, hey, you do the entrepreneurial things. And I think, Sonny, that's what Ford did with you in in making you the vice president and the head of Ford X. And welcome to This Week in Startups.
0: Thanks for having me. You know, uh, we've been meaning to do this for a long time. We finally did it. So, and, uh, you know, awesome to chat with you about it and share my experiences um, in in the accelerator space.
1: Yeah. So tell me, um, what is Ford X and how should entrepreneurs uh, or people who have startups already look at Ford X and why does Ford even have an accelerator?
0: Um. You know what would help with that is, and I'll, I'll touch a little bit on you know your wonderful intro that you did for me. But um, you know, our experience in accelerators, uh, what well, didn't start just with Ford X. Um, during Extreme Labs, as, as you talked about, you know, we were able to partner with Barry Diller's company IAC. You're mm-hmm. familiar with them, of course, and and uh, a lot of people don't know th- these details, so I'll, I'll just share some of them at a high level, but. Um the incubator uh, that was uh, created within IAC is called Hatch Labs. And that was created um, um, during the start of the boom of the mobile app era. And one one of the things that IAC had kind of seen very early on, they had just acquired Urban Spoon. I don't know if you remember that app. You yeah. kind of took it, you shook your phone, and it had the rollers, like a right. slot machine rollers. So they had just acquired that app. And they would realized that, um, you know, they had good insight uh, given you know, the business that they were in. They were sort of a holding company of a lot of other companies that, you know, this was going to really explode. And and they decided to create this um, internal uh, incubation lab called Hatch Labs. And how Extreme got involved with that was we were doing a lot of app development for them. And so as they were going to look to stand up these ideas, they needed a partner that could help them, you know, execute those ideas. And so we got involved and a lot of people don't realize, but Tinder actually came uh, out of hatch labs and and what's interesting there's a lot of learning that happened for us there that was a big corporate trying to take advantage of uh, the growth of mobile mm. and and you know create ideas on their own try to disrupt themselves you have to remember for Iac to create something like tinder it's a really big undertaking because they have two Really big dating properties at that point, which is Match.com and OkCupid. Right, and so they have to disrupt themselves before someone else disrupted them. Sort of the classic innovator's dilemma problem, and they were able to do that incredibly well. And you know now the entity that exists as the Match entity, it's publicly traded, is you know a multi-billion-dollar entity, and uh, it's been quite a successful. Uh, venture for for them and it it shows that big corporates have the ability to be successful and we you know we had a seat right there to see that happen with that and it's been uh, it was really really exciting
1: and and why and this is gonna sound like a stupid question but why couldn't IAC just say to the okcupid team or to uh, the match.com team make something innovative for mobile why do they feel the need to put it over here on the side and say let's do experimentation over here yeah, I think
0: it's more of an and, right? I, I don't think that they limited those businesses from doing it. I think what happens is, again, you just fall into that innovator's dilemma. You have your existing business, you have your existing metrics, you have your shareholders, and you're trying to appease them. And this is a really interesting conversation, specifically in the COVID time. We'll get to that in a second. But um, that's what happens to those teams. I don't think you limit them from innovating, but I think if you give another group an opportunity to disrupt, they're not sort of held down by the metrics of running a sustainable business, You know, match is very profitable, right? So every dollar that goes into something that's not the current business is, you know, in some ways viewed as a distraction or taking away from something that's existing. And and, you know, it's well documented in 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 the books uh, that Christensen wrote and others I've put out there over the years. And so with Ford X, we saw a similar opportunity to do the same, but not in mobile this time, but in transportation, because we really felt as though this next era of startups are going to be focused in and around mobility. And we think there's an opportunity internally to create a group that can, you know, create disruptive new technologies or experiment with disruptive new technologies and help the other groups learn. And so that's uh, that was sort of the genesis that got us to the the Ford X concept.
1: All right, when we get back from this quick break, I want to know what type of spaces you're working on and then is uh, am I correct in thinking hey, car ownership is going to change over time? And so Ford realizes that, and they need to have some other businesses for people who maybe don't want to own their car, which was previously the American dream and the standard by which we thought every American would live. One person, one car. Answer that question when we get back on This Week in startups. Hey, everybody. I just want to tell you right now that I want you to upgrade your workstation and upgrade everybody on your team's workstation because This will increase productivity massively. I have two amazing hacks for you that I do across my organization. Number one is widescreen monitors. And the one I love most is the Dell. There are Dell 32-inch, 38-inch. I even have a 49-inch at home, which is absurd and obscene and amazing. And... I love these new Dell laptops. Why do I love them so much? Well, I'm a fan of Chrome, the operating system. And Dell makes Chrome operating system laptops. But not only these laptops are affordable, they have an Ethernet plug in them. And they have an HDMI. And they got a USB-C. And they have a SIM card. When I talked to Dell, they said, listen, we have a program, Dell for Entrepreneurs. We want to bring it to your audience, J-Cal. We know that you got all the startups. And I said, okay, what can you offer them? And the offer is the best part of this. Dell for Entrepreneurs, that's the name of their entrepreneurial program, is offering Twist listeners, that's y'all and me, an additional 10% off any existing offers that are out there. You can get up to 48% off select products at dell.com slash twist, T-W-I-S-T, 48% dell.com slash twist, and you'll join Dell for Entrepreneurs. Now, when you register for Dell for Entrepreneurs, you're going to get a lot of resources. One of them is they'll give you free IT consulting from experts, and they're going to help you With analyzing your cloud spend, which you're certainly overpaying, when's the last time you did any analysis of your cloud spend? You probably have never. They have Dell Financial Services, where qualified founders can finance their entire hardware project, and you pay it back in low monthly payments. They know startups, because let's face it, Dell was a startup, just like you. And you've got people working from home right now in all likelihood, send them a monitor. Can you imagine how they're going to feel about you when you send that 38-inch monitor shows up at their house, and boom. They're not working on some tiny little laptop and using the trackpad and all of a sudden they have this gorgeous monitor. It's going to be night and day for them. So go ahead and get these high-quality laptops, networks, storage, printers. You know all the great stuff Dell provides. They love founders. They want to help you. No project is too big or too small for them to handle. And they love to support startups. So once again, dell.com slash twist, dell.com slash twist. Love you guys. Thank you for supporting the show and founders. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. Speaking of accelerators, I have one too. And you can apply at launch.co slash apply. Uh, we like to invest in companies that have products in market, 5 to 50K a month in revenue, and we put in 100K and we introduce you to 500 plus investors. With me today, Sandeep Madhra. He is Sandeep on the Twitter, S-U-N-D-E-E-P. Uh, but he goes by Sunny, my friend Sandeep, uh, AKA Sunny. Uh, So when we went to break, I wanted to know if the core thesis here at Ford is, hey, maybe not everybody is going to own a car in the future. They're going to live in cities. And maybe millennials, there was this kind of idea that they were commitment phobic. And I think we all know that there are three or four very considered purchases in your life. I think it's the home is number one, college number two, and car number three, maybe having a kid or getting married you know, number four or five, in terms of how much consideration people put into them. Those are the big uh, five. So is that the central thesis? Like, hey, maybe car ownership is going to change? Or is it just cities are changing? What was the core thesis here that you had to put this Ford X laboratory together?
0: Yeah, I I think uh, it's more along the lines that mobility is changing. And, you know, if you really go back to the roots of even Ford, Um, it's, uh, it's roots is like sort of as a first major mobility company with the model T, it really enabled the world to, you know, become mobile and in a much different way. And so we feel strongly that mobility is going to change. That means there'll be new modes, there may be new business models. And so we're not limiting ourselves just to say car ownership or vehicle ownership, um, we're kind of looking at it across the board. You know, that became sort of really relevant with our acquisition of Spin. That actually started off as a Ford X project called Jelly that we did with uh, in conjunction with uh, Purdue University. Explain to me and what that
1: is. Yeah.
0: So. We, you know, we saw the start of what was happening with the scooter companies, Birds and Limes, and we really wanted to get an insight ourselves into, you know, how good this product market fit was, and so we ran an, uh, a small experiment together with Purdue University to put scooters on the market, and even before we could put the scooters out the day we were rolling them out the evening before we let the app up, students wanted it so badly. And what became obvious to us was there's a tremendous product market fit here. And there's a product market fit that's not necessarily someone that's taking away from vehicle ownership, but that just needs mobility in a different type of way. And so that work really led us to realize that there was an opportunity to excel ourselves in that space. And we went from um you know sort of the incubated effort that we had and we went you know and any time you're doing that you have kind of this build by purchase that you can look at and we we quickly went through that arc and got to purchase and decided to acquire spin and that's been great for us so that's how we've been really thinking about it um not not just you know the changing business models but just changing modes of of transportation that are out there
1: how does uh, a big company make the decision to buy or build Uh, You know, we looked at, say, Facebook buying Instagram, they could have easily built it. uh, And they did build, you know, when they couldn't buy Snapchat. So obviously, the availability of the asset is part of the decision to buy or build. But assuming the asset is available for purchase, how does a big company, you know, in those, you know, conference rooms, how does that dialogue, even if it's just not Ford, you obviously had this experience with other companies, how do they make that decision? What is the dialogue like? What is the decision tree like?
0: Yeah, I I think it, it breaks down to the following in my experiences. Like, you know, first of all, there's time to market. You know, whenever you're gonna build something versus buy, you have to take into account like how much time does that take. Second is there's existing scale versus what you can bring to it yourself. And the last, and a lot of people don't realize, is it's sort of the the team. Um, and, And I'm not saying those are the order and most importance, but those are the three elements. And a lot of times you have to look at, can your existing team have the passion? One of the things that you know, Jason, as doing the accelerator and being an investor in startups you know, one of the key things for survival of those startups and the proliferation of that startup is the passion of the founders. And sometimes you may have one and two inside the company, but you don't have someone that's passionate about an idea that's going to work on it 24-7, wake up thinking about it, go to sleep thinking about it, uh, talk about it all the time. And so I think when we look through that arc, that, those are the type of things that you look at and when, when you go through that build-by uh, curve.
1: How, how does FordX look at coming up with new ideas? Uh, and which ideas to bring into the accelerator and invest in. I I believe you invested in this company, Cabana, is it? That's doing the vans, the conversion vans? That
0: was a personal investment. Oh, that was a personal investment. Okay, very good. Yum, yum. Oh,
1: yum, yum. (laughs) A little (laughs) sax assist on that. I like it. Well, explain that investment, um, because it is related to mobility, and they happen to be using a Ford, uh, a very fine Ford product that I've actually researched a whole bunch called the Ford Transit. Explain what Cabana is, and uh, why you made that personal investment. And then uh, back to that original question: You know, how does FordX look at new ideas and either generating ideas or figuring out where to where to back founders?
0: Yeah, I think uh, on Cabana, like the real notion, um, you know, pre COVID was that. Um, the way real estate is allocated you know specifically around short-term rental uh, whether that's a hotel or, or you know airbnb is really in, ineffective um, you know you, you see this surge that happens when big conferences come into a town or you see this need around big events and uh, hotels, you know, for the most part, are not able to, you know, take advantage of that properly. And the idea is that with the advancement that's happening in vehicles, the transition to electric, that you can really solve that. And the real estate is sort of mismatched. Like, I'll give you a classic example: think of a Costco parking lot, highly utilized during the day, empty at night. What mm. a perfect place to park a bunch of vans at night during the middle of a conference. To um, you know, provide housing if, or you know, lodging at nighttime. So I've really been a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of the van life movement, and so I think this kind of brought those things together, and it's really exciting. And I think there'll be much more that comes out of it o- over the next few years. That's on the cabana side.
1: Yeah. Now, what about in the in the Ford X side? How do you pick founders or companies to work with? And does it work like a Y Combinator or Launch or Techstars in that you have a, a cohort? Is it rolling? Do you provide space? Do you find capital? Do you automatically provide access to the Ford customer base? How does it all work?
0: Yes. So I'd say like a big difference here is this is internal, right? So there's no external financing or equity or any of those type of things. This is a process and methodology for a large company to operate like a startup internally. And, you know, when you have a big company like Ford, you know, hundreds of thousands of workers, um, there's lots of people that want to take more risk, but they want to take it in the confines of a bigger company. And we give them the framework based on our experience to do that internally.
1: And Cisco has a similar program where they know hey, some entrepreneurial employees who are here, they might leave to go start a new company because they see some opportunity in the world. And obviously, their work at Cisco or their work at Ford might inform their worldview. So instead of just letting them walk out the door, you might want to keep them in there or at least incubate them and get some ownership in those ideas. So, can anybody at Ford, you know, somebody who works, in customer support or marketing pitch you and how do you get them to pitch you and then how do you evaluate the ideas and then take them off their teams and say, hey, come here to Silicon Valley and work on this?
0: Yeah, so uh, you know, from a location perspective, you know, we allow the teams to be somewhat mobile and we've been really supportive of that. Like we don't need them to all be in Silicon Valley. Uh, I, yeah, we we do. And in fact, our team is made up of people that have come from all different aspects of Ford. Some people come from IT, some people have come from our dealership side of the business, people have come from all over. Uh, and it is as simple as you say, like, you know, kind of inspired by you, Jason. Like I've seen you go through your process, uh, you know, through the launch festivals and everything else. We allow the companies to pitch, we go through all their work, and in fact, Even the companies that, or sorry, the ideas by the employees um, that, you know, don't make it through. We try to give them guidance so that in the future they continue to evolve their ideas. One of the things we also try to help people with, we're not just a place to lob ideas to us. This is a place where you bring an idea and you bring yourself to help execute that idea. Because going back to that point I made earlier, is, you know, it's. A lot of the time, the success is driven by the passion of the you know the founder, um, as as much as important as the idea to be handed over to us.
1: Somebody who's listening to this, who works in a big company, who has a great idea, um, and you know the ability to execute on some portion of it. Um, how does ideation work in these early stages? Because I know Extreme Labs and the company you sold to uh, Pivotal Labs, they actually ran courses in product design and. How to take ideas from like kind of rough uh, ideas and then you know refine them a bit. Uh, when we get back from this quick break, I want to know the process of coming up with great ideas and just moving them from an idea into a prototype and from a prototype into a product. When we get back on this week in startups. Now, more than ever, we need people with the right skills to support our communities, especially the frontline workers who provide resources and care for those most in need. And to help, LinkedIn is offering Free job posts for healthcare and essential service organizations that need to quickly fill critical roles with the people who help all of us. If you or someone you know are hiring for one of these organizations, LinkedIn's active community of over 675 million members can help you quickly find the right candidates. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates for the skills and experiences you're looking for and puts your job post in front of qualified people who meet your requirements so you can find the right person to quickly fill critical roles. Here's an example from our portfolio. Takeoffs.io is an AI-enabled building materials marketplace. and I just got off the board call with them and they're doing great. Well, last year they were looking to hire an AI engineer to lead their team. And this is really difficult because it requires a very specific use case and a very unique set of skills that not everybody has trust me well they use linkedin jobs to find the perfect candidate with a phd in computer vision and this employee has been with them for over a year now and as i heard in the board meeting just moments ago they have rolled out several major projects that are a game changer so here's your call to action to post a healthcare or essential services job for free visit linkedin.com slash power that's right linkedin.com slash power all right everybody welcome back to this weekend's startups sandeep is with me The Sunny Madra, my pal, at Sandeep on the Twitter. So uh, you've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs. You've worked with a lot of uh, big corporations, obviously Pivotal Labs and Extreme Labs service big companies. You can't say the name of the giant social networking company that you may have built their first app for because you're under NDA. But you've worked with big companies
0: we have we have
1: and you cannot say the name of that company even now three or four companies later we we we, we cannot we cannot you cannot because the NDAs are so strong but i've heard rumors yeah. <sighs> and uh how does that process work of ideation to say productization
0: so the biggest uh the biggest challenge uh that I think entrepreneurs both internal to startups or even external to sorry, internal big companies and externally faces sort of that, um, you know, zero to one. And in the zero to one. Um, you know, big companies tend to have uh, very constrained budgetary processes, right? So, you know, there isn't just money around to start something, and and you know, not have everything fully defined because big companies are subject to their shareholders and public earnings, and every dollar and penny is accounted for, and so that becomes challenging. What one of the first things that we really need to do inside large companies is unlock some amount of dollars so that we can. Give a small team a budget and don't have to constrain them by going and um, you know you know for the first 250k very similar to what you do in in, in yeah. your you know with your investments to allow them to have the flexibility. But alongside that, we have to give them some KPIs and we have to measure them and we have to make sure that you know we understand something's coming out of it. So that's like the very first step inside a big company is unlocking the budgetary constraints.
1: Ah, how does one know how much money you need and what's too much money and what's just enough? You know,
0: this has been like a really interesting question and and for me it's been evolving over time like honest, when we even started FordEx, we thought it was like about 250k uh, to, to get something built. One of the things that we're learning is like that number is is probably increasing over time. And I'd love to hear from you, like what, what you're seeing with, yeah. with your startups, but it's probably itch- itching towards like 500,000 now. And that's sort of contrary to what you think, because there's all these tools out there from like the cloud services and all these SaaS services, but it just seems like the barrier of what the expectation is, is higher too. So mm. that so you you can do a lot more, but the expectation of the investors, whether that's an internal group or whether that's an external investor is higher, so you know, I feel like to get to that very first MVP of one product with one feature that you can sell to a customer is probably around five hundred thousand dollars at a minimum now.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably about right because if you just think about the human capital involved, if it takes a year and mm-hmm. you had you know three or four people getting paid you know, some reasonable salary to live in a major city, that would kind of account for their salaries, two, three, four people, and some money on designers, external developers, or or some other pieces. And a
0: couple of SaaS services.
1: A couple of SaaS services, yeah. And what you would see in accelerators is typically they give a portion of that, 100, 150. And the reason they do that is because they want people to learn how to fish and get money from investors and that is one of the key skill sets whereas inside of ford well you've already got you've already got the investor so you might as well just give them the full 500 and also you have people who are internal so i don't think you're going to ask them to take a pay cut to work on their idea correct and yeah. so that is another interesting nuance to what you're doing if somebody was getting paid a great salary to working the corporate office and then they go work on this well they're not going to Go down to a 5k a month draw, which is typically what founders of year one startups get. Sixty thousand a year, they take a 5k draw. I've seen people take a two or three k draw, and maybe wow. their spouse is taking the brunt of the hit, or they're living—you mm-hmm. know—they're a young person living three to a two-bedroom apartment kind of situation. Uh, so people, yeah, it's a different—it's a different level of um, cost. How do you know if that first product is successful enough to merit? Additional funding.
0: Yeah. So for us, um, and you know, I, I think this applies for many businesses. We like to see a actual external transaction occur. Uh, and and you know, for there's a lot of barriers that have to get unblocked to do that. And you know, you've seen this as well. In order to accept money, it's not as simple as you know, setting up a lemonade stand and going outside. There's a lot involved with that. And so, we believe that if you can get to like a f- external financial transaction that's a really big signal that you've kind of unblocked a lot of stuff uh, one you know you've found someone to pay for your product but two you've built something that someone's willing to pay for and so that's that's the measure that we really kind of focus on initially and then you know there's a, a ton of other kpis that you can build you know similar things that you'd see like how fast they come back what's the churn rate around those things um, you know what does it take to get them through the funnel all, all those more t- typical metrics but You know, out of that initial funding, we'd like to see external transactions started, and we'd like to see the data associated with those external transactions.
1: And if the idea doesn't work, they can't get an external transaction, or the product doesn't come out amazing. There isn't product market fit, let's say, as a general term. How do you uh, shut it down? What's the process? I mean, in startup land, you run out of money. And therefore, it's over. There's, you can't pay salaries. You, you, you wind, you do the wind down. Uh, What do you do for the wind down or ending the experiment inside of Ford?
0: Yeah, so we, we, we do the same thing. We basically shut that project down and then you go back on the bench and you maybe regroup with the same team members or other team members, and then you know go with the next idea. And so tying back to that first thing I shared with you, you know, we set aside budget at the start of the year to work on some fixed number of projects. And so we know we take into account that teams are going to go through that start, stop. Some are going to continue. Some are going to need more funding. Others are going to stop. And we account for that in how we look at the program on a, on a yearly basis, multi-year basis.
1: And, and approximately how many projects are you trying to get done? Is it 10, 100, 50?
0: Uh, you know, um, it, it's kind of always a, a little bit of a moving target because it depends on which ones you want to keep going. But our goal would be between like 10 and 20 a year. We'd like to get started. Uh, and, and, you know, that may vary depending on what we're doing, like kind of scaling
1: up as well. How do you look at risk taking? In big companies, I just had Rory Sutherland of the book Alchemist, which is a great book if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. And he ta- he's an advertising agency person and he, he makes a really good point, which is in big companies, um, you want to make safe bets because if they work, you get credit. And if they don't work, well, you made a safe bet. So it's not like, you know, it was your fault. Whereas if you take an outrageous or outlandish bet uh, and you fail, well, you look stupid because you did something crazy. And if you succeed, well, you know, you you might get some credit for it, but you're taking on a huge risk because most things fail. And and the more outlandish or world-changing, the more risk-taking they are, the greater the chance they fail. So how do you mitigate against everybody picking safe projects so they don't fail versus the whole point of doing this? I would expect is for you to have competitive advantage with ideas that are outrageous. And then what percentage do you expect to actually become sustainable actual business product lines, one in a hundred, one in 50.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's part of the filtering process and you have to make sure you're not signing up for things that are generally just features of other parts of our business. Uh, and so, you know, we, we, we try to take a very hard lens uh, at making sure of, you know, what is the ability for this idea to stand up on its own and become a business on its own. Um, in terms of like h- hitting ratio, I'll go back to uh, the experience that we had with Hatch Labs, and you know the the really interesting thing that was like the 15th or so idea out of out of the the incubator, and so you know my feeling is you'll probably hit one, and you won't hit a, a Tinder every single time, which is a multi-billion dollar entity, but I think one in every 15 will probably be something that you can scale that is worthy of then the capital allocation at the corporate level as a separate business.
1: And inside of a big company, new efforts are not expected to hit one in 15. They're expected to hit one in two. Well, that's exactly it. Yeah. 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 Uh, So it's it's, it's a distinct uh, difference um, inside that uh, process. Hey, uh, by the way, the book is Alchemy. Sorry. Alchemy, like the Dire Straits phenomenal album, uh, is the name of... uh, alchemist is uh paulo uh colo. colo paulo colo's famous book as well two famous ones hey uh when we get back from this last break i want to talk to you about what the world looks like for startups uh, and then also for transportation in the age of covid uh and this crazy pandemic which we don't know if we've beaten or if we're about to get beaten down a second time by when we get back on this week in startups. Hey, founders, you know that if you don't have your SOC 2 compliance buttoned up, you can't close major customers. If you don't know what SOC 2 is, well, I can give you a quick education. It means system and organizational controls. It is a standard by which you get audited, and then big companies can trust your service. If you're a nascent startup and you're just starting out and you're writing a couple of line of codes, maybe you didn't hear about this yet, you're going to hear about it because it's going to be a blocker when you try to sell into big companies. And if you already have a SOC 2 report, don't you want to make it easier to maintain year after year? Well, that's where Vanta comes in. V-A-N-T-A. Their compliance software makes it easier to get and renew your SOC 2. The software continuously tests against technical and non-technical SOC 2 requirements, and they partner with over two dozen audit firms who have been trained to file SOC 2 reports directly within Vanta. The average 20 to 50 person company is SOC 2 ready with Vanta in just two to four weeks. Compare that to three to five months without Vanta. With Vanta, you can connect your tools and infrastructure, continuously monitor for risks and vulnerabilities, and then fix issues fast with actionable guidance. Avoid anxious on-site visits from auditors and never again have to prove compliance with manually captured screenshots by using Vanta. Companies like Lattice, User Testing, and hundreds of others have successfully gotten their SOC 2 reports with Vanta in weeks, not months. Launch portfolio company LeadIQ said that they couldn't imagine having to go through their SOC 2 compliance without Vanta. And let me tell you something, LeadIQ is one of the most successful companies I've ever invested in. Vanta is giving Twist listeners a rolling $1,000 discount on their subscription at Twist. That's Twist for $1,000 off. I met the Vanta team. They're like, what's a great offer? I was like, well, most people give $100. Some people give $200. I've seen a $500 offer. They're like, we'll give $1,000. I was like, you guys are going to do really well. V-A-N-T-A dot com slash twist for $1,000. Way to go, Vanta. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. If you want to apply to our accelerator, it's launch.co slash apply. And if you know somebody and you refer them to us and we invest, we'll give you 10% of our carry. In other words, 10% of any profit we make on that first investment. We've done that 15 times out of the last 100 plus companies that went through the accelerator. So, you know, one out of six or seven times, we we share some of the upside and we love doing that. So today on the program, Sunny Madra, you can follow him on the Twitter, Sundeep, S-U-N-D-E-E-P. He gets a little cheeky on the uh, Twitter. He he mixes it up a bit. We'll leave it at that. Um <sighs> And, uh, yeah, will just leave it at that. When we left, I wanted to know how you, Ford, Ford X, look at what's happening with COVID. People are moving out of cities, which was exactly the opposite trend to what everybody thought would happen. And if everybody moves out of cities, you know what you need when you're not in a city? You need a car. Need that new Ford Mustang, the electric one that's coming in 2021. Ooh, I covet that one. It's my first car, and I love a good Mustang. Uh, so, how do, does Ford look at the world? Is are is people moving out of cities actually going to be wind in your sails? Uh, and then that works against micro mobility, or does micro mobility do well because people want to get off public transportation? I, I'm trying to figure out the chessboard here, and I'm sure you are too. What's your latest take on it in June of 2020, month four or five of this uh, pandemic, depending on when you start it from?
0: Yeah, uh, really interesting question. I I just want to say, like, one of the things that you know really um, touched me a lot in terms of the overall Ford Motor Company um, was the effort that the company put in to help with the crisis, right? And you know, you probably saw some of the news, but from face shields to the ventilators, uh, there's a lot of efforts that the the overall company kicked in to help uh, with the crisis, and that you know continues to show us why manufacturing is such an important part of our ecosystem that we yes. need to have in the country. So I just wanted to put that out there. I was just really amazing to see what the team, you know, did to to pull that off.
1: Well, uh, I mean it's I think it's an important point worth considering which is we became so good as a um a country and as an economy at optimizing for just-in-time manufacturing and for what I guess they call supply chain which is the ability to buildings you know on demand essentially and we would get our phones from you know they would announce the new airpods and then you could order them online and they would come from china and you'd get the box like two days later and i think they were packing it with your label in china um and and what apple did in supply chain and other companies was just phenomenal and then when it gets disrupted oh my lord does it get disrupted and we can't even get a mask for the hospitals and you're like this is a serious risk factor so we we clearly became too good at it for our own good and we need to have some amount of this manufacturing here in the United States or at least on the on the larger continents of north and south america
0: yeah uh so yeah i just want you know say that and and, and you know thanks for that message cuz i think it's important for all the listeners um but i will say like you know when it comes to covid uh, you know there are changes that are going to happen um, you know, when it comes to public transportation, you know, think about uh, New York City, right? And think about the the impact that was had in New York City. Um, you, really, you know, for me, I think it boils down to, and I'd love to get your thoughts, it, it was the public transportation system. You know, 100. we've all been on those subways. We've all seen how packed they get, how close people are. And so that is going to change, right? We see the impact that's going to have, not just on the subways, but other aspects of public transportation. Now, and then you know, we're already seeing these announcements with businesses starting to say, you know, don't come back to work for the rest of this year. Don't even come back to work. Work from home permanently. And people are starting to evaluate those decisions. Right? Why should I stay in the Bay Area? Why should I live in this expensive town? You know, expensive town. So I think all of those things are going to have an impact on transportation. Does that lead directly into vehicle sales? maybe, but I think more indirectly, what it does is it, it causes a change in how people think about transportation. And that's why it's important to continue to innovate around business models. And so I think overall, you know, with Ford having the ability to, you know, uh, have products that could, are used in in different ways, I think we're in a good position there. We don't know what the final answer is, nor do we want to anticipate. But I think we have a a broad enough set of offerings in terms of products that we can adapt those over time as we learn what happens post COVID. But you know, we're still in the middle of it. I think it's too hard to to make those bets just yet.
1: Yeah, I, there is one theory that if we do beat COVID because of masks, because of a vaccine, or if it's seasonal, or if only a certain number of people are actually impacted by it, maybe the social distancing and the masks make it go away. Um, there is a theory that everything goes back to normal. That does not seem like the likely scenario in the short to midterm to anybody. This yeah. thing's gonna linger clearly. And if it does linger, that means you're gonna need a way to get around that's safe And it would seem that micromobility would be the number one choice or being in a a car uh, like a Lyft or an Uber, et cetera, with a partition because a partition would solve the problem, obviously. So what are your thoughts on are cities now suddenly reversing their position where they kind of pump the brakes on micromobility and we're like, oh, this is a nuisance. There's too many of these things. And people were complaining and being all nimby. And now they need them. And these cities are probably going back and begging people, please put more of these on the street so they can go visit local, so people can get to work. Because people don't want to get on a bus or a subway. It's scary to get on the bus or subway in this day and age, given what we know. Yeah, you know, we actually saw that
0: with Spin. You know, in eight eight of the cities that we were operating in, uh, Spin was designated an essential service, mm. and it was, it was designated essential service uh, because the distributed nature of uh, shared mobility and how it's run, you know, by a private company. Uh, allowed the ability for uh, the company to continue running in during the, the the most peak times of the crisis. So I actually do see we're seeing a reversal. You know, we're also seeing cities right now in trying to uh, contend with the crisis and, you know, the flattening of the curve. They're they're taking streets and closing them down. Downtown Palo Alto, downtown Menlo Park, downtown Mountain View are all starting to close down their main thoroughfares. And that's forcing people to move to micromobility uh, as well. Not just scooters, but, you know, e bikes and bikes and everything else, and so hmm. I do think we're going to see a big reversal there uh, in terms of trends of how people commute commute within cities right now.
1: What does Ford think of the bike space? I'm curious. Do you do you want? W- would we ever buy a Ford Mustang bang, uh, bike e bike? <laughs> would we? Do you guys make e bikes for sale, or are you just dabbling in these sort of ride sharing kind of situations? Or I'm sorry, micro mobility. Yeah, you know, we're, we're big fans of micro mobility, and you bikes are there. Like you know, the Mustang brand is...
0: Brand is cherished and we appreciate your 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 passion towards it. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think it shows up on a bike anytime soon. <laughs> but uh, but what I will say is, you know, we really support micromobility and and the the real um, effort with Spin is working in conjunction with cities. That's why we like that company when we acquired it. We work very closely with the cities to understand the needs of the constituents. And so uh, we're you know we kind of look at what the needs are and we kind of say, hey, like because scooters have one good use case and bikes have a different one, and you sort uh-huh. of need all of them in, in a city at a given time
1: it seems to me that the scooters are really nice for short rides uh, you don't have to throw your leg over the bike you don't sweat they're they're kind of good on the sidewalk although i'm not sure if that's legal in all cases but the bike is a little bit more of a commitment you got to put a helmet on you're gonna i don't know if the i guess the bikes do go faster theoretically um do you guys make any of those scooters or bikes yet and how do you guys Make that decision, do you want to be in the hardware business because you 're you 're a manufacturer that you want to actually manufacture battery powered bikes or battery powered scooters? Do you make yeah, them think, now?
0: no, we don 't make them now, but we, we're you know we have uh, we have the partners that we work with to get custom ones you know the whole, entire industry started sort of buying re- retail scooters and then putting them on the road, and everyone 's gone to a custom space i think um you know i do think there's an evolution that we have to get to in in the form factors and mm. and that's an evolution from e-bikes an evolution from scooters and i think as that evolution plays out you know then you never know where we end up in terms of the manufacturing side of it
1: how do you think of subscription businesses in relation to transportation we've seen amazon prime netflix spotify people love the idea of paying for a subscription And I know that some car companies—I don't know which ones—they were were dabbling with. Hey, pay us five hundred bucks a month, get a car, get insurance, you're all set. Maybe even some of the rental car companies were dabbling with that. Did Ford ever dabble in the like subscription car business? Uh, Because I know finance is like has always been part of car sales, and then you Mm -hmm. have the distributors. uh, um, What do they call them? The franchisees or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Like, how do you think about? subscriptions because it would be amazing if you could subscribe to ford and get a mustang and get the spin bikes and just have one subscription with x number of miles involved yeah you know we've experimented in this space uh, a a lot of different models
0: but uh, I, I'm going to answer your question in a very specific way because it, it ties to sort of what's happening for startups right now uh, and for big companies. Um, you know, there's always been this S curve and startups have, you know, that's really the advantage startups have where we started this conversation over, over traditional businesses is that they have the ability to I- innovate quicker. And, and so they usually represent sort of the top part of the S curve where the innovation's happening and the change is happening. But one of the things that's COVID's done, and I'm, Trying to tie this all together here is it's flattened that curve, hmm. and and this is both an opportunity for for large companies because that gap has usually been too big, and what COVID has done is really uh, you know uh, I guess flattened that that curve. Um, and the example I'm going to give you: it took 10 years for e-commerce to grow from six percent to 16 percent of U.S. overall sales, but in the 10 weeks from the start of the crisis, it grew from 16 percent to 26 wow. percent. So what happened in 10 years happened in 10 weeks. And for, for now that's both an opportunity uh, for big companies because that's a flattening of a particular curve that you know, startups are taking advantage of, but it's also something that startups need to look at. And so I think when it comes to these business models, Um, whether or not people have dabbled in them before, you have to look at them in this new reality that we're in, right? This unprecedented world, this new normal. And I think everything's going to be reevaluated now. So that's what's super exciting in terms of that. I I would say you have to kind of put away all everything that happened before. And what we said before, are people going to travel more? Are they going to work further away? And you have to reevaluate these business models in this new reality.
1: It it definitely happened as well with Zoom and, and work from home the number of people who had ever worked from home was probably 20% whoever had a job where you explicitly worked from home and probably the active people working from home was no more than 5 or 10% and then all of a sudden it went to in most companies 100% working from home and if everybody has to work from home there's a certain threshold where i believe It no longer, you're no longer a second class citizen. You're no longer an oddity. Everybody has equal footing. So when we're all in the conference remotely, it's different than like, you know, eight people are in the main office. One person's in New York and one weird person lives in Tahoe. And that weird person in Tahoe, Who knows who gave them permission to work from Tahoe? uh, But everybody's kind of like, oh yeah, we forgot you were on the phone call and that person has to fight to get any airtime. And it's like this oddity. Now it's like everybody's, where are you? Oh, does it matter? I'm in Salt Lake. I'm in Tokyo. Who cares? And and what's the the number of people who've used Zoom now? 100%, right? So it does change the entire thinking. And even in a big company, you kind of have permission while you're on the pause, right? Because you guys couldn't sell cars during the pause. Uh,
0: actually, you know, vehicle sales continued because uh, a, a lot of the people that were needed, like you know, Ford's a big commercial, like we're the number one commercial seller of vehicles in the U.S., right? And so we continued our business. Obviously, there was a decline, but you know, it was it it, it continued. It was really, really again it's inspiring to see that you know people kind of realize that this was an essential service needed for for folks that needed to get to work and all these a lot of people that relied on other forms they were going and you know we had these great programs around financing and business models that we were adapting real time for customers at at the height of the crisis.
1: Yeah interesting on the subscription side uh Cadillac was the one who was doing it and it was $1800 a month but you could pick one of you know whatever five cars or six cars uh, and that that seems to me to be like one of these like, I don't know if you've got pitched on these uh, being like a CEO who's done well like the car sharing clubs where you like join an <laughs> yeah, exotic yeah, car club and yeah, yeah like, the
0: the, the high end cars yeah yeah
1: and they're yeah. just like yeah you could take a Ferrari or a Lamborghini yeah. out you know yeah. get like whatever a yeah. hundred days a year I've always found those like really classing uh, you know fascinating um, wh- what is the uh, future of rent-a-cars we, you know this Hertz going bankrupt during all of this is it feels to me like that's a group that maybe doesn't need to exist anymore because ride sharing is so strong micro mobility is going so strong and car ownership's getting easier and easier and there's such a vibrant competition there there's so many options available who's going to Hertz? who's going to avis i know you guys sell a lot of cars to those kind of places i assume um, but are they are they going to make it through this? You think? Well, I think you know they have to look at this flattened S curve as well, and, and you know they have to
0: grasp with the reality that airline travel is down. You know, some you know, huge amount, greater than fifty percent, right? Maybe even greater than seventy percent. And a lot of their business is done at airports, which maybe may not be it there. But go back to the point that we just said: if a lot more people are going to work remotely, I think. They're going to need to go to some kind of office, whether it's once or twice a week or a couple times a month. They may not need a car full time for that. So maybe it doesn't make sense for there to be a huge rental center at SFO over the next couple of years, but maybe there needs to be a much bigger rental center in Tahoe, or maybe there needs Mm -hmm. to be a much bigger rental center, you know, way out in the East Bay. And, uh, you know, somewhere in Stockton or Modesto, where those people can get in, they don't need a car full time, but it's not feasible for them to take a scooter, her bike, or even public transportation, or an Uber from that distance. So I think you have to look at all these changes that this crisis is driving, and you have to reimagine your businesses right now, even if you tried it before.
1: How's the shift to electric vehicles going on inside of a giant company like Ford that obviously basically created the entire sector of the ICE engine. And now here we are, the internal combustion engine feels like it's, you know, in the whatever it is, seventh, eighth inning, and we're going to be moving 100% of these cars eventually will be uh, electric. I don't know there's any doubt about that. It's just the timeline. How's that timeline going internally? Oh, really? Well,
0: you know, there's uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but you know, Bill Ford is, you know, been a huge fan of, uh, you know, uh, electric vehicles for a long time, and uh, you know, big support of climate change, uh, you know, fighting against climate change, and so. You know, we have a multi-billion-dollar commitment in and around electric vehicles. Uh, you know, obviously, you mentioned we're launching the Mach E. We're also uh, made commitments to launch a electric F one hundred and fifty, and lots of we have an investment in Rivian uh, as well. So, you know, there's there's huge commitment by mm. by the company into the space, and uh, and and we agree that you know there's a change happening. There's benefit there. At the same time, you know, we also have to look at uh, you know customer use cases and. Uh, You know, there's a there's a physics problem. And, you know, if you think about something like towing, right, uh, Mm. that's not the a lot of commercial vehicles are used to tow and that's not the best use case for electric vehicles today. And until we kind of solve some of the problems related to you would need double the
1: density, right? You just need twice as much battery power to really be doing towing
0: exactly and then twice as much battery power may mean twice as much weight of batteries which then you know works turns against just you right yeah, it's like yeah. it's
1: like putting too much gasoline in the in the plane you know jet fuel in the jet like now you've can't take it, off you can't take <laughs> off right <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it, that is yeah. A, a a really challenging and that uh, what's going on with that ford mustang electric car because i i've been reading about that looks pretty sexy to me internal dashboard looks good
0: Super exciting, you know, obviously lots of great inspiration from the iconic brand and we're really excited. I think it's, you know... This is the the moment that the industry is needed, right? There's been uh, there's been a shift occur, and then now I think we got to give customers choice. And the Mustang is a brand; it represents a lot of things for people. There's there's nostalgia for folks. There's excitement around the brand, and it's a really awesome car. I think we got to get you in a test drive of one of these and get you to talk about it. It It
1: looks gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of electric cars. I just actually upgraded my Model Three to the Model Y. Uh, So I'm going to get that in July. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, Here's a silly question. I wonder if this has ever come up. The old, you know, you, you have this asset inside of a company like Ford that few people have. Obviously, Chevy has it too with the Corvette. You have the Mustang. There is such a tradition in those cars. Why don't you do a throwback and take the classic pony car? Nineteen sixty six convertible cherry red Mustang and make that car available again for sale, but with modern technology in it. I, I looked at the Ford and it's like it's got echoes of the original. What I've never understood is if those cars were so iconic and people love them and people, you know, collect them, why don't you make still make them? You know, like it's a classic format. Has that ever come up as an idea? If not, I'd like to pitch it right now.
0: Well, I, I, I'm I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it up the chain. I, I think it's you know I, so there's an external company that does this. Uh, yes. I don't know their name, but yeah, but yeah, I th- I think it's a really cool idea. You know, we're we're doing a flavor of that right now. You know, we're bringing back some of our iconic brands. The Broncos coming back next month. Yes. You know, we're, we're,
1: yeah. Right. So, those
0: trade. Yeah, yeah. For
1: more than they cost originally.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, you know the iconic name name plates you know we're we're building a a story around and it's 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 awesome
1: but i'm going to take your idea
0: up the chain i, I think it's great I think
1: take it's, the ford know. bronco the original yeah. one that people covet and make the same exact one uh oh yeah there's the people omaze has a contest i just they just yeah. threw it on the screen of the uh that's the original crazy looking one and when i was looking for an old jeep people were like no you don't want an old jeep you want the old Ford Bronco? That's the one people covet. Now, if you made that new, and it had anti-lock brakes, and it was electric, and it had this and that, that would be amazing. You just—I th- don't know if you saw the new Land Rover Defender. Have you seen that yet? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah I did, and I did. Yeah. how did you feel about it? Uh, you know, I've—I've I've
0: never been like a Land Rover guy, but like, I, you know, it brought good nostalgia back.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's like they—they they modernized it, but I just want the classic one. Yeah. And I wanted to, and I looked. I was like, you know, I'll just buy one of those used ones. You know what they want for the the old ones? Oh, yeah, they're they're crazy. ninety to one hundred twenty <laughs> large. You yeah. could buy two brand new Land Rover Defenders for fifty or sixty k. It makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. But this is my big idea, and I, I'm giving it to you for free, Sonny. You All take right. this idea. <laughs> I I think that people would go crazy to buy like an old Ford a uh, Mustang or a Ford Bronco in the original styling, and you could do it like limited edition. There's only 10,000 being made. They could have like a semi-premium. Uh, are cars profitable? Uh, and what ca- what car segments are profitable? I've always wondered this about, like I see some cars are so cheap, you know, 15 to $30,000 cars. Do car companies make money on those or do they only make money off the mid-tier ones or the trucks or the high-end? Uh.
0: You, car companies are profitable, right? Yeah, we know that. You, know, you can go to the public earnings, and you can yeah. see that. I, I think uh, it, it varies, right? And it's it's a real challenge because um, it, the answer is never straightforward. Because and you know this took a lot of learning for me. Selling a car isn't as simple as you know putting a product online and selling it. You know, there's. Uh, emissions regulations, there's ta- different taxes, there's different tariffs that exist. And so it's never, a, and I'm not even trying to, you know, get around the answer here. It's just never a simple answer. Right. Um, you know, like in in a certain state, you have to sell a certain number of low emission vehicles so you can sell the high emission vehicles. Ah. And so there's always this interesting trade that has to happen uh, in order to just meet the regulations. Right. And so um, and, you know, even outside of Ford, like companies like Tesla spend a lot of effort selling their credits to other companies. Uh, yeah, and, that's and a fascinating so, thing is that yeah. some
1: companies haven't been yeah. able to, it, I think a lot of Tesla's profitability in those early and mid years, came, even now, even now yeah. come from selling yeah. those tax credits to people who didn't, yep. who didn't hit their goals. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. Do you think that? Uh, a company like Ford would ever be in the ride sharing business and run a fleet of ride sharing cars? That was always the speculation that at some point a, a manufacturer might want to be in that. Obviously, Tesla has talked about they want to have an autonomous fleet. That feels to me like it's five or 10 years away <laughs> minimum. But has Ford ever considered that? Like going head to head with a Lyft or an Uber? Or has there ever been speculation that, that you know, there should be a full stack as it were?
0: Yeah. Well, autonomy is like sort of, you know, not my area of focus w- right. within, within Ford, but I, I would say like, it's, it's all reset with COVID as well. Yeah. I think, you know, with this, like, look, we're investing heavily in autonomous vehicles. We have, right. you know, we believe like, um, the, the, the second, uh, to, to none in, in Argo, right? It's a premium uh, autonomous platform made up of folks that come from all the the top players. So we're really excited there. I do think we need to understand, you know, how the landscape evolves right now, you know, from you know, what, what the, the ride sharing companies are going to do and what they're, what, you know, what it's going to look like. I mean, Jason, you were early on with Uber. Like yeah. when's the last, when's the last time you were in an Uber?
1: I have not taken an Uber since uh, quarantine. So March, 12th was when i started so i haven't yeah. been in an uber i was in an uber probably the week before that certainly so it has been a long time that being said i have my uber eats has gone 10x yeah because i don't go to restaurants anymore mm-hmm. uh so i'm just popping out my uber eats and, and doing that and i feel like that is the most i mean think about what an incredible asset that was for uber compared to lyft as public companies that they had two lines of business right yeah and that one happened to be counter to the other as people went into quarantine they used more uber eats and less uber where and everybody's like oh uber should just be i remember jim kramer somebody's like they got to get rid of the (laughs) uber eats business and just be pure (laughs) play i want them to be pure play and it's like it's sort of like the redundancy we talked about in the supply chain if your supply chain is too perfect and then you hit a bump it's not resilient it's not anti-fragile right um, and that Uber might be a little anti-fragile uh, in, in that regard. Uh, but we has got a big business in fleets and connected cars already. So it would seem to me that you will be players in autonomous moving of stuff at some point, correct? How do you yeah, think, think about moving stuff?
0: Yeah, you know, being a leader in commercial vehicles, I think, is important, and there's a lot of effort on our side to work with our existing partners and and uh, and and work with them to help them adapt to to the moving of stuff, right? So, you, you know, there's a lot of effort happening on our side there. Uh, you know, we've done projects within Ford X, and our autonomous teams are, are doing a lot of projects with some some big name players um you know we, we i think we've openly done stuff with Domino's. we've shared that and so you know there, there's a lot of effort there we're really bullish about the moving of stuff space
1: yeah there was some company zoom pizza i think you remember and one night uh we were hanging out i don't know if you were there that night but a bunch of us were hanging out one night and the zoom pizza truck came and we tested it and the pizza was okay it wasn't bad it wasn't great but they literally had the ovens In In the truck. In the truck. (laughs) So the idea was you put a bunch of pizzas into ovens. As people order them, the ovens automatically turn on and start cooking them. And then when they get to you, they're cooked. And it it felt like it was almost too much. But Domino's has got a tremendous business.
0: Yeah, I think like top performing stock of the last fifteen years or something, right? And I don't know if you've seen any of those stats, but yeah. Um, but you know, the interesting thing in the Zoom Pizza example was, uh, and and it goes back to this whole idea of you know, are we focusing on the right thing? Domino's Pizza or any p- you know, pizzas delivers really well. It's one of the things that you didn't need to disrupt. Now, if you think of something we need to disrupt, is like French fries. Yes. Because uh, you can't order French fries on Uber Eats or any. No, of No, soggy. You, you know, can okay. have soggy fries. Yeah.
1: But you exactly. can't have crisp so, fries, that's exactly. it. you so, got to put if, deep fat fryers into yes. the trunk of a Ford Mustang <laughs> and you pop Mustang, open no. the trunk <laughs> or it's a convertible with just a bunch of cooking oil in the back seat. That's my kind of Mustang. Yeah. Makes a yeah, fried, yeah. fried chicken. Also does not travel yeah. well. Anything yeah. that's crispy so, does not travel well. So maybe
0: well. it should have been Zoom fries or Zoom, Zoom fried chicken, not, not, not Zoom, Zoom pizza.
1: Fry, pe- you're right, actually. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. wrong with pizza. Pizza's working. If you pick something yeah. to disrupt, it's, you know, it's very hard to disrupt something that's working really well. You better have a pretty pretty good story. All right, Sonny, I could talk to you forever, and I have. It's been an hour. I took a ton of your time. Continued success. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. Uh, and if you work at Ford, well, you know the guy now. You know the guy who could get you out of your you know, grind, whatever you're grinding on at Ford. And if you want to be an entrepreneur inside of Ford, you know where to go. Go. All right. Thanks Great bread with Sunny. Thanks for coming on the pod, and we'll see you all next time on this week in service. Bye bye.